Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> Good evening, everybody. This is Rescue Radio, and welcome. Thanks for joining us, and we're going to be talking tonight about, is God real? But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of who you are, that you know who you are, you know who we are. And Lord, I pray tonight that as we listen, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation of the greatness of your promises, your covenant your, the, the um, witness of your creation to us. Thank you for the salvation that you provided for us, Lord God. And I pray that those who are on the fence and don't know for sure if you're real, Lord God, there's no way we can persuade them. That is by the power of your Holy Spirit. But let us discuss these things tonight and encourage people who might be uh, a little weary and a little worn out from the battle, Father. So may your spirit go now before us, call the people, remind them of the show, and May they call in, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, is God real? Is he for real? And, um, you know, can he be trusted when it really counts? I guess, you know, when we're talking about God and his reality, um, the, the first place we have to go to look for evidence of God's reality and his existence is in his, in his own word. And um, I'd like to start off by reading a, a portion of that word in Isaiah. It's a very powerful um, self-descriptive uh, report that God is giving of himself. And uh, let's go to Isaiah, if you want to join me there, uh, 44. Uh, we'll start with verse 2, I think. Um, he's talking to Jacob. He's talking to Israel, but he's talking uh, about himself. So verse 2, for thus, so this is amplified, by the way. I really like the amplified sometimes. It really just brings things out. We're going to be talking about who is God. Is he real? And, and uh, join us. You know, call us if you want. If you've got a converse, uh, conversation you want to have with us or question or comment. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, the upright one applied to Israel as a type of the Messiah, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings upon your descendants. And they will spring up like the grass and the willow or the poplars by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call him by his name, the name of Jacob. Another will write even brand or tattoo on his hand. I am the Lord's and surname him by the honorable name of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Redeemer of Israel. The Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Let's stop right there for a second. God is talking about being mentioned, being known, being um, accepted, being embraced, even tattooed uh, his name, his, his, uh, his uh, ownership on the people uh, of Israel. And to this day, he has uh, uh, the people of Israel as well, as well as us who have called upon his name and followed him. And a lot of times, because of the, the confusion 
of the mass amount of confusion and things that happen to people in their lives. I mean, anything can happen. They lose, we lose our uh, awareness. We lose our contact. We lose, the, we lose the assurance of God as being good, as being with us, as being real. I mean, I think it even gets to the point these days because there's so much, um, pe- so many people who have uh, like accepted the, um, the lies. They've replaced the truth that they have come to believe that God does not exist. Oh, by the way, just in case you're wondering if I'm all by myself tonight, I pretty much am. My lovely husband is on a mission to uh, another pagan festival. And so um, you're just going to have to help me out tonight, people, by calling in and uh, giving me something to talk to you about. But, but going back to God, this is a, be- a big subject. Uh, and I'm, as I was kind of thinking about getting ready to talk about is God real, I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's almost like, like, you know, why do you want to talk about that? Of course he's real. Everybody knows he's real. But do they really? Do they really know he's real? Um, you know, it's kind of like if you've gone to that movie yet, um, Heaven, uh, heaven is for real. Uh, the little boy saw heaven. He saw Jesus. He described it very perfectly, actually, for his little four-year-old mind not to have known all the theologies and doctrines and, and appropriate pictures and descriptions of what he should have seen. And yet he was nailing it and uh, nailing it very biblically. And it stirred up such a, a ruckus in the church, a church that declared that they believed in God and heaven. And here this was threatening the very foundations of their lifestyle because if there really is a heaven, then I'm really scared because, oh, wow, I'm not living like there's really a heaven. I'm, I'm living like there's no heaven. I'm living like uh, this is just a, you know, just a, a, a club I've joined and it's, it's, it's interfering with my everyday world. And so I think a lot of Christians these days really look at their church as a, a club and it's a way to socialize. It's a way to get some you know, um, I don't know, good feelings, maybe brownie points with God, but they have no clue as to who this God is that we're even trying to impress. And the shallowness of our own uh, examination of God and, and who he is, is is almost an insult to him. We just don't even take the time. I mean, there's no better way to insult someone really than to just simply ignore them, I think. And and But let's go on to read what God says about himself. He's He's talking about the children of Israel, but he's talking to us as well. Verse, um, let's see, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. You know, they had been, Israel had been surrounded by um, paganism, idolatry, every form and fashion of a doctrine, uh, doctrines of demons. They had been surrounded by it. And, and the Lord said, don't touch it. Don't participate. Don't marry their wives. Don't eat their food. Just don't do it. Don't, don't worship with them. Um, and, and he, God was establishing them as a unique people, a people who knew the one true God. And actually as they obeyed him, the um, God, the one true God was able to manifest himself to the heathens and the pagans, even like, as we know the story of Pharaoh the story of Jericho, um, the fierce report of the power of this one God that the Israelites served went before them and created a lot of um, uh, fear and uh, wilting uh, among the people who were in the, in the path of the, of the Israelites. Um, so God, the one true, at the beginning and the end, and this is, it's always no, good to know that 
God was in the beginning, but it's, it's really comforting for me to know more so that God is in the end. God is the beginning and the end. God will be with us to the end and through the end. He has a purpose for the end. I mean, I wasn't there in the beginning with God. The beginning isn't such a big deal to me. Um, but the end, I will probably be, uh, I'm very invested in the end of the world um, or the, the final judgments, heaven, hell. I mean, and so are you because this pertains to us. And so um, I'm glad he's a God of the end and he's a God of the ending and he's a God of justice. He's a God who is able and going to make everything right, bring justice back, a truth will, that's been knocked down and fallen in the streets and exchanged for the lie will be reestablished and that will bring with it freedom. Verse 7 of Isaiah, we're in 44, amplified. Who is like me? Let him stand and proclaim it, declare it, and set his proofs in order before me, since I made and established the people of antiquity, who has announced from of old the things that are coming, then let them declare yet future things. In other words, if you think you can do all this, um, I was there, I established the first people, the people of antiquity, the people before the flood, the people to us now, anybody before the birth of Jesus would be antiquity. He says, and who announces, prophesies, tells future, uh, the future of what things are coming? He says, if you can do that, then do it. Fear not. Do, nor be afraid in the coming violent upheavals. Wow. And that's really am- amazingly appropriate even for today. In the coming violent upheavals. Where will we land? What will, what, who, how, uh, what do people trust in? Um, what do they rely on? What, what's stable these days besides the word of God? I mean, is the stock market stable? Is your family stable? Is America stable? Are, is your, your lifestyle stable? Is it going to sustain you? Are you really going to be able to retire? Are you really going to be able to just go on your way as you would have planned? Are your plans able to carry themselves out? Probably not. He says, so in the coming violent upheavals, whatever those are, and by the way, we're not here to talk about fear. You know, yeah, Jesus is coming back. He said he was 2,000 years ago. We've been looking for him for about 2,014 years now, something like that. But I have chosen... Yeah, they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. And the world is, is screaming in pain and injustice and blood and, and wickedness and greed and all of that. And I'm not turning a blind eye to it, but here's the deal. That is as predicted. That is as, he, as the prophets told us it would be exactly. Now, there's a good proof for God that he's nailed it every time. Um, and, you, you know, we have our prophets who like to be we call happy prophets they like to tell you all the good stuff but there's a whole lot of other stuff that they don't want to talk about but we got to put it all and look at what's really happening and god put it all together right and he says um so um the violent and i have i not told it to you from of old and declared it in other words god's saying there's no secrets here no mysteries except the incredible hidden and concealed uh, matters of spiritual warfare. People are so naive, so conned by the cunning wiles of Satan that they don't even believe that he exists or that they have to do anything um, to counter the spiritual warfare that's going on for their souls. They're just kind of like swallowed up with ignorance and, and uh, bliss and ignorance. Ignorance is not bliss. Um, and you are my witnesses. He's saying, come on, guys. You are my witnesses. What are you doing these days, by the way? Are you witnessing to the greatness and the glory of God? Or are you just kind of 
dragging your feet, shuffling to and from work, got no purpose, no meaning, looking for the weekends, you know, grumbling and murmuring if it's raining or whatever. Are you really walking it and talking it? Are you really living what God is asking you to live, to be his witness? And how do we witness to God about God? How do you testify to the reality of God? I mean, to a skeptical and not a naive, negative, jaded, uh, unhappy generation that's been, uh, you know, hardened by the hypocrisy of the church, etc. How do you, how do we become the witnesses of God if we aren't for, first fully convinced that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him? There is no way that you can fake this. You cannot fake this. You cannot, you know, use your church language and, and you know, your um, Christianese to, uh, persuade anybody of the power of God. The only thing that's going to persuade people is the power of God and our a willingness to live and die our faith. Is there a God beside me? Now God's looking around. Is there any gods besides me? Um, he's looking. What's he see? Nope. There is no other rock. I know not any. We're talking about stability. We're talking about foundation. We're talking about solid ground we're talking about the rock christ he says no there's not any i don't know of any and if god doesn't know of any i'm sure anything you might think is a rock in your life by the way what is the rock in your life what are you depending on what are you relying on is it money that is ridiculous that might change tomorrow morning who knows uh is it relationships well you better commit those to the lord and pray for those people and walk them out according to love uh is it your friends is it your job stable here nothing except the word of god and i don't see how people can live without it and they they they, you know you feed yourself a little on on a little a soft oatmeal of you know some daily uh, devotional in the morning you read half of a squishy mushy you know soggy devotional and you think you've got some substance that's going to carry you through the day it's the word of god read it just stop putting it off and stop waiting for somebody else to interpret it to you. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. Go ahead. Read it. Try it out. Even a verse. Even three words. Come on. Don't be oh, intimidated by the fact that the book is thick. It doesn't matter. Take three words. Read a sentence. And then mull it over. Meditate on it. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you what it really means. It's not that hard. But the enemy, the demon, the liar in your mind and soul wants you to think, Oh, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That's boring. I mean, I can't do that. Besides, you know, God's mad at me because I'm not perfect. And uh, you've got all kinds of things talking in your head to resist the idea of reading the Bible. I'll tell you what. I can't live, wouldn't live, wouldn't want to live on this planet without reading the Word of God pretty much every day. I just can't do it. I don't know about you. Maybe you're superhuman, but I cannot. So he goes into verse 8. Uh, let's see, where are we at? No, verse 9. Now, listen to this. This gets kind of funny, actually. I think God's being kind of humorous right here. All who make graven idols are confusion, chaos, and worthlessness. All who make graven images, idols, are con- uh, graven idols, are confusion, chaos, worthlessness, a uh, waste of time. Their objects or idols in which they delight, they do not profit them. And their own witnesses worshipers do not see or know so that they are put to shame in other words he's saying these idols that we worship these sticks and stones like studded with gold and and carvings and made to look like mostly like animals and creatures of some sort 
that we are so blind that we don't even know how to blush about this. This is, this is a joke on us. This is a joke on us, the worshipers of these sticks and stones. Their own witnesses, that would be us, do not see or know how they are put to shame. Who is foolish, who is such a fool as to fashion a god or cast a graven image that is profitable for nothing. You know, we're made in the image of God. We're made by God, in God's image, to love what God loves and hate what God hates. He loves justice, purity, holiness, goodness, um, righteousness, truth. And he hates injustice and he hates sin. And so that's what we resonate with. We resonate with the truth. And if you are not resonating with that which is right and good and true, then you have been corrupted and programmed by something else, which pretty much we all have. So after we're saved, the process of of deprogramming is the process of sanctification. It's the process of replacing, replacing the lies and the belief systems that we have embraced the agreements we have made with the truth of the word of God. And so he's saying these kind of, you know, this is people who do not know God. Seriously, they're not wise. They may have demonic intelligence or demonic, and there is demonic intelligence, by the way, that makes people really, really super smart. But I don't even know if they're people. But, and then there's also demonic wisdom in James. But this is not the wisdom of God. You know, to, and, and we can go into Romans, we'll probably get there a little later about how they made, um, they refused the love of the truth and they embraced the lie. And God gave them over to these kind of vile passions. He gave them over to a, an, a, um, a degenerate mind um, that they lost their ability to even discern reasonably what was the truth, um, denying God's existence um, and, and, you know, bringing them into the place of corruption. Ephesians 4 talks about that. He says, um, uh, that we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Isn't that kind of the way it is? That if you don't follow God, you don't walk after the righteous truth the, the truth and righteousness of, of god that our minds are, are are become futile what you think how you try to figure things out it's like going around and round in a mud puddle trying to figure out find evidence reasons for falling in the mud you know i mean it's just not is this wasting your time it's futility you can't figure it out you can't solve the riddle of the mystery of life by looking into a finite you know you have a finite instrument in your mind and you're trying to use that finite instrument to define the infinite. It's not going to work. So the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. You know, when you refuse the love of the truth, that's what happens. And as you walk in the truth, your mind and understanding become lit again. And you become uh, able to connect the dots and things make sense. And you can comprehend the battle of the war between God and Satan and the lies and the agreements and and, and then things like, why didn't this prayer get answered? And what happened here? And where was God? And, you know, it's my fault. And why is everybody so whatever? These the questions of why and what and how begin to have answers. And that's what we need. We need understanding. And that's what God wants to give us is understanding, not to be darkened, but to be lit and enlightened, to understand, to know, to see. Because once you start seeing 
what's really going on here. It's not as so scary. It's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. That's that's going to happen. Um, I can rejoice. God's still in control. He told me it was going to happen. He's God. He's got it under control. And you know, at this point in time, you're either going to believe God or you're going to believe the devil. You're going to believe the Antichrist. And so, uh, and the times are coming when you can't stay on the middle line anymore. You're not going to ride the fence. You're going to have to get on or get get on either side of it, really get off. But the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God. And how many people, they don't, they don't, the life of God. What's the life of God? What is that? You got your own life. Why would you want the life of God? You got fun. You got plans. You got parties. You got, you know, goals. You got uh favorite foods, you got duties, you got kids, family, you got obligations, you got problems, you got your own life. Why, you know, to live as Christ, what is that? I mean, who'd want to do that? That sounds, that sounds like boring. That sounds like, wow, I don't have a life of my own. Well, you know, as it may seem to be, everything that looks to be something appears. Jesus said you make, you look at appearances and you draw wrong conclusions. So what appears to be um, distasteful and and um, unappealing actually becomes the power behind the true uh, follower of God is to lose your life. He who seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You say, well, wow, then I won't have a life. Oh, yeah, you'll have his life, which is way more powerful than yours and mine. But anyway, so because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, I believe that the, God didn't create us ignorant. In the beginning, our first nature was our divine nature. He created us to know um, and to be known, to love and be loved, to understand, to uh, resonate with the truth, to reflect, to be drawn to the truth. Um, and that was the way he created us. But then in the garden, when um, Adam and Eve agreed with the devil, sinned, the devil was able, able to download into them the operating software called the body of death. And at that point, ignorance came in, um, delusion came in, deception came in, uh, denial came in, and even the denial of the one true God. They, they, that just was part of the package, the hardness of their hearts. And, you know, like when we go to these festivals and stuff, you see all these people out there who are lost. They're so lost, they don't even know what lost is anymore. They, they're just, they are hardened. They don't care. They, they've got it so tangled up that their minds have not been able to give them a solution. They're weary, uh, but they're not admitting it. They're tired but they keep drinking and drugging and carrying on and, and carousing. Um, they keep seeking, uh, but so far nothing they've sought in anything they've tried to do has brought any lasting comfort at all. It's, so, it's really sad. But the hardness of their hearts being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness. We've agreed with, we've given up, we've, we're going after the things of the world because the things of God seem so unattainable. But let's go back to God and, and what he's got to say about building idols. Now, you know, a lot of people say, well, I, am. I don't build an idol. I, I, I don't worship sticks and stones. I mean, I'm not like those people over in India with three million gods, you know, but don't touch my car or don't touch my food or, you know, I even had to confess idolatry and worrying about my garden. I mean, that was getting to be, it's not my idol, but I declared it was not my idol because it was just getting drowned out all the time. And I thought, you know, yeah. I'm going to let God take care of the garden. I'll plant it. I'll pull the weeds, you know, but he's going to have to take care of the rest of it. So an idol can be anything that's 
worry can be an idol. You know, your health can be an idol um, or your lack of health can be an idol. Um, Your righteous cause or what you perceive to be your righteous cause can be an idol. Your doctrine can be an idol. Your denomination can be an idol. Your, Your, the way you worship your music. I mean, seriously, it doesn't have to be a stick. It doesn't have to be a stone. It can be a lot, anything. I've heard it defined an idol as anything that comes between you and God. Anything that comes between you and God. So if you're giving place to worry, control, or fear, you're letting those things come between you and the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the love, and the friendship of God. And if we need anything right now, we need to know God, that he's good, that he's with us, and that we can talk to him, we can count on him, that no matter what it looks like, yeah, no matter what it looks like, you know, he promised he'd be with us till the end. Didn't say we would make it alive in our physical bodies to the end, but we will never die. He is with us forever. So, I mean, we're just going to have to trust him for the things we cannot do. But wisdom is great. You can ask God for wisdom. So let's look, let's go on. So here's the deal. Um, they fashion a God, a graven image that can profit for nothing. Behold, um, those are worthless things. They, they profit nothing. Who makes money off of an idol? Who makes money off your sickness? Who makes money off your being well? Who makes money off of your showing up at church? Who makes money off of your favorite foods? Who makes money off of you? You know, the enemy, the surely not the Lord God. Look at God, the one we seem to criticize the most and always got something negative to mumble and grumble, is the only one who gives us freely. He doesn't charge us for the sunshine. He doesn't charge us for the rain. He doesn't charge us for the air we breathe. He doesn't charge us for, you know, the ground we we stand on. He doesn't charge us for using gravity. Um, You know, he doesn't charge us for looking at the stars at night. What? What? You take all that stuff. He doesn't charge you for using his shade trees to sit under. You know, I mean, he doesn't, he, he's freely gives, he doesn't charge you for the food. Of course, if somebody else gets their hand on it, they will. But, you know, God gives us freely these things to, to enjoy, to keep us alive, to bless us. He gives us the grass to walk on. He gives us animals to play with and, and, to, and he gives us, but he doesn't charge us. And yet, why are we so, why are we so hard on him? I mean, really, seriously, why aren't we hard on the one who wrecks everything? Oh, because he doesn't exist. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, so verse 10. Who is such a fool as to fashion a god or cast a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be put to shame. And the craftsmen, how can they make a god? They are but men. How can you make, how can you make a god out of something that's less than you and you are less than the thing you're going to call it? It's going to be your God. You should be the God and it should be, you know, a servant to you. And that's exactly what it is. The wood, the tree that you chop down is your servant because you can use it to burn uh, fire, to keep warm, to cook your food. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's not, as he goes on to say, we'll see that in a second here, how it gets kind of interesting. Let me read. Um, But they are men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand for us that they should be terrified that they should be put to shame together. You know, there's no terror. There's no fear of God. It's just like, because God is 
waited a long time and not spoken. Uh, he spoke through Jesus Christ. He's given us options, choices. He doesn't interfere a whole lot. He, he's, his permissive will is in operation. He lets you make choices, but you know, a lot of people make a choice and they get mad at God for the way it turns out, and then they find fault with him. That's just the way it is, isn't it, being a parent? But anyway, um, let them all gather together. Let them stand forth. They should be terrified. They should be put to shame together. In other words, this is all going to, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Here he says, verse 12, The ironsmith sharpens and uses a chisel and works it over the coals. He's like a blacksmith. He shapes the core of the idol with hammers and forges it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. See how weak he is. He's got to have water. He's got to have food. He's got to keep breathing while he's doing all this. The carpenter stretches out a line. He marks it out with a, with a pencil or a red osher. He fashions an idol with planes and marks it out with a compass. And he shapens it to have the figures of a man with the beauty of a man that it may dwell in a house. Okay, he's going to make this thing look like how many stories in the Bible do we have of idols? And Nebuchadnezzar, for example, built the big idol. The, I think was probably an obelisk or an obelisk or whatever, however you say that. You know, the things that are those. Um, the five, like the Washington Monument, that's what it would look like. And so they're fashioning these things, and then the three Hebrew children were supposed to bow down to it. And we talked about that last week, how they said, well, we're not going to bow. We don't know if God's going to save us or not. We're not putting him to the test. We're just saying we're not going to bow. And, and whether he delivers us, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But they had already made up their mind not to make their decision contingent upon or put pressure on God or tempt God to have to deliver, and they just said, we're going to follow God, even if it costs us our lives. And basically, that's kind of where it has to go. You're not going to tell God what to do if he's going to deliver you today or not. More more than likely, he will deliver you today because he loves you, but there will come a point in time when it may not look like he's delivering you. But remember this, that in every bad thing, there's a good thing. The devil is working to take you out. God is working with that very same circumstance to make you. The devil wants to break you. God wants to make you more like him. And so don't be too quick to judge a situation. Paul says, I don't judge anything before the day um, because we don't have all the information. So don't panic. Don't push the panic button. Just abide. You don't have to panic. You can stay in peace. I think a lot of people think they throw in the towel too quick. They push the panic button. They freak out. They, you know, call somebody. They, they rant and rave. They believe the lie. They give up. They cave within seconds of when God would, would have delivered them, you know. So, you got the carpenter building this idol, okay, to put the idol in the house, okay, so he doesn't get wet and cold, of course, because the idol's got feelings, right? He hews for himself cedars and takes the home tree and the oaks and gets them and lets them grow strong for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir tree or an ash, and the rain nourishes it. Okay, so who's making the tree grow? God. Then it becomes fuel for the man to burn. A part of it he takes and warms himself. A part of it, he, of it he takes and warms himself. Yes, he kindles the fire and bakes bread. Then out of the remainder, the, le- the leavings or the leftovers, he also makes a god and worships it. And there's an exclamation point. God is talking still. This is God talking. He's saying, I can't believe it. You guys, which end, how did you know which end was the God end and which end was the end that I needed to burn my uh, fire to make my cakes, to bake my bread? I mean, seriously, is it the top end? Is it the north end, the south end? Which end is the God end, seriously, out of the same log? This is, like you say, well, this is not me. I don't do this. Well, yeah, well, you might think about it. 
How is it you attribute some things? You give it the power over your life, the power to determine your happiness, the power to determine your salvation. And maybe it's your misery that you're giving the power to do this. I know people who have actually, um, you know, maybe accepted God at some point in their life, and, and they become disgruntled, unhappy, bitter, miserable, and they get to that bitter point, pride point, where they don't even care anymore. They don't even want to admit they're wrong. They, just, they, they, they will just go on with their stubbornness, and they, they hold on to their idol. Does that make sense? Anybody got a call? You want to call? Here's your number, 347-215-8051. Don't be shy. 347-215-8051. And by the way, thank you all of you for listening last week. It was really cool. Um, I thought we had a really good time. It is fun to talk to people. All right. So so he, he's going to make this image. And then he makes this. He bakes his bread with half of it, and he makes a god out of the other half, half and he worships it. With his, his own hands, he makes it into a graven image and falls down and worships it. This is madness, people. Yet this is what we do today. We worship our drinks. We worship our, our relationships. We worship corporate America. We worship our technology. Oh, don't forget that little God. Holy buckets. What would we, you know, I mean, the world would end in 20 seconds if our cell phones would all towers wouldn't give us what would you do if you didn't have all your technology i'm just you know if you really want to do a fast fast today from all your technology and see how weird it feels because these things become control uh they control us our moods our appetites and god only knows what the enemy's using to do use them to control us with all right so he burns the part of the wood in the fire and with a part he cooks and eats his food he roasts his meat and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. How simple, huh? We are, we, we're just so satisfied with nothing, with the simple. You know, eat, it, it, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But you go to your favorite restaurant, fill your little belly, and you're happy, and you go home, and you think nothing more. You have no need for God. You don't say, wow, thank you, God, that was great food. Thank you, God, for blessing me. Thank you, God, for protecting me from all that poison I just ate, whatever. You know, we just kind of entitled over here in America, you know, entitled. Anyway, I don't know what kind of attitude I have tonight, but it's just kind of like, guys, get it together. Come on. What is your problem? <laughs> you say, well, what is yours? Well, call me if you don't like my attitude. <laughs> I'll talk to you about it. Do me a little favor. Uh, come on. Anyway, so they... He, you know, so they, they, and what is left from the log? He makes a God a grave and image. He falls down, he worships as he prays to it and says to the log, deliver me. You are my God. You're my new God. You're my latest God. You're my, my ticket out of here. You're my, you know, I'm going to play the lottery. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I am going to do my, you know, and you know what? I'm going to tell you something. The God of this world called Satan does favor a lot of his people with temporary blessing and fortune, good fortune, because he likes to keep them happy and uninterested in anything else. They aren't going to look around for anything else. Why should you follow the one true God? Because following him is a pain. You get hurt, you get kicked around, you get rejected, you get persecuted. So a lot of people don't have the guts to follow God. And yet, you know, when the time comes, I hope you're not going to be one of them that's going to be begging to get into his heaven. That's not even going to be funny. And it isn't going to work. You're going to have to choose now. 
and you think you got it all sewed up because you got a religion that gives you a checklist every Sunday, forget that. You know, God doesn't use a checklist. He's got one thing on his list, and that's Jesus Christ, his son. And he says, you accept him, you're in. Otherwise, I don't care what you got on your list. It ain't going to be good enough. So anyway, all right, we're going on. Verse 19. Now, no one considers in his mind, nor has he knowledge and understanding enough to say to himself, I have burned part of this log in the fire. And also I baked bread on its coals and have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the remainder of it into an abomination, the very essence of what is disgusting, detestable, and shamefully vile in the eyes of a jealous God? Shall I fall down and worship the stock of a tree, a block of wood without consciousness or life? The eyes of a jealous God. Uh, If you're a parent out there, you're going to understand this. A good parent, that is. Some parents aren't very good parents, but we're going to talk to the good parents. You are jealous over your children. You want them to get the best grades. You want get them to get the advantages. You want them to be noticed. You want them to get the, the best positions on the team. Correct? Nobody wants to see their kids sitting on the bench, right? God is jealous too. He wants the best for you. He's a jealous God, and he sees the devil is giving you all kinds of stuff, and you're buying it, you're falling for it, and you're not even considering that this is ridiculous. You get it to people. Where is your head? Don't even listen to your head. It's not even got any answers. Go into your spirit. The Bible says walk in the spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Your head, your soul, mind, will, and emotions, they're locked up. They're programmed. They're corrupted. They're um, not able to give you the right answers. That kind of man, verse 20, feeds on ashes and and finds his satisfaction in in ashes. You know, um, there's a a psalm, I think, or a proverb that says, you know, that my life has turned to ashes. But the Bible, Isaiah says, he gives us beauty for ashes. A lot of times what God is burning off of you, burning out of you through hard things and through through trouble, is, is he's doing you a favor to get rid of that stuff that's in the way. It's like pruning a, a vine. You get rid of that junk. You think you're mean, mean to the vine, but you're actually giving the life back to the vine. And ashes, that, but they're satisfied with ashes. But tomorrow, they'll need new ashes. You know, a deluded mind has led him astray so that he cannot release and save himself or ask, is not this thing I'm holding in my right hand a lie? Wow. So they don't even recognize the thing that they're using to uphold their life, to strengthen their life, save their life, is a lie. And what did Jesus say lies do? Bring you into bondage. Now, if you're kind of unhappy with your life, you're kind of unhappy with the way you've been serving the Lord lately, and you're kind of, you know, wanting to try to, you know, you know get going, you know, get it together, be more spiritual, blah, 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 then Sit down. Just sit down. Don't try to strive to, you know, do all this fasting and all this, you know, pressing. What you do, you sit down and say, God, make me more like Jesus. Ask him to do it by his Holy Spirit. Don't you get your little plan going to be more like Jesus because it is not going to work. It's just going to frustrate you and, and deceive you. It's going to be another lie concocted by the devil in your head to make you believe. It's the pious way, but he's not going to give you the good direction of seven. You need the Holy Spirit to do that. Remember these things earnestly, O Jacob, O Israel, O you and I. For you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You shall not, you shall not be forgotten by me. 
a lot of people feel very abandoned, forsaken, forgotten by God. You know, I think God is available to talk to 24-7. I don't think he has visiting hours. I don't think he takes his phone off the hook. I don't think he puts on his answering machine at any point in time. If you want to talk to him, you say, well, wait a minute, I've done that. I talked to God and I got nothing. I got nothing. Oh, yeah, you got something. You just don't know what you got. A lot of times we don't know how to understand what God is saying. Press in. God can find and knock. So, God, I need you. I need you to hear me. God, Holy Spirit, give me an argument. Give me a conversation to have with God. Show me how to present my case. Show me what's really going on here. Because most of us are so dull-headed, dull-minded, that we don't even, we, we stumble through our day numbly, numb in numbness and you know just go from one escape point and and, and thing to another without saying you know what i i need god i got to stop this i got to get serious about this and you don't have to wait for it to be the bottom of the barrel tragedy for you to start seeking god that's kind of like wow is that really real it's okay to seek god when you're in a good spot please don't be stupid and think well i've got to you know it's going good now i don't need god you need God. I need God. We all need him all the time for every breath you take. And if you can't think of anything else to do, just tell him thank you for the breath you're breathing right now because it wouldn't be too happy if you weren't being able to breathe. That would not be good. Now look at what he said in verse 22. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me for I have redeemed you. He's blotted it out. He's not going to hold it against you. He's not holding the sins of the devil is the one who holds that sin against you, the guilt, shame, condemnation. I should have. It's my fault. He's constantly trying to wrap you up in that condemnation. But God says he's forgot it. He's redeemed you. Um, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains and forests and trees in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorifies him in Israel. God is in the business of redeeming, buying back, fixing, healing, regathering, um, repairing, bringing back, rejuvenating life. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, he who formed you from the womb. Now, think about that. Where'd you come from? Who watched over you in the womb? I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Who was with me? Yeah, he said that to Job. He said, were you with me when I when I spread, spread out the heavens and, and hung the stars and created that? great sea monster leviathan were you there and even those few little questions job got it right away yeah yeah god you're god that's right i'm not god i don't want to be god i can't be god i don't want to be god i like you being my god so who spread out the earth who formed you in the womb where did you come from i mean seriously are you are you really believe you're an accident you really believe that you're a, a, a result of random chance how many codes trillions of codes have to come together to form the DNA that brings the information, carries the code, the pattern for your particular life and body functions. Now, trillions. How many, how many, what's the chance that a trillion things have to come together in the right order, the right sequence, in the right coding to make the DNA to make you? How many billions and billions of times do you have to roll that dice to get that chance to come out right? Come on. I mean, you may be lucky, but you aren't that lucky. It's going to take a while. Why do we have to think we're random chance and accident? Who came up with that idea? God? And why can't we believe God for what he says? Why? The, one who, the only one who doesn't lie in the whole universe, why is he the one you don't believe? Something inside of you that makes you question God, his goodness, his, 
his integrity, his right to be there, his right to do anything. When God himself says, I did all this and you weren't there, you can't do, we can't do much of anything except resist. Seems like we're good at that. I am the Lord who frustrates the signs and confounds the omens upon which the false prophets forecast the future. Forecasts of the future are based on woe and of the boasting liars and makes fools of diviners who turns the wise backward and makes their knowledge foolishness. In Corinthians, it says God is going to use the foolish things to confound the wise, the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Jesus said out of the mouths of babes and, and sucklings, he has perfected wisdom and counsel, you know, and if, and if people won't praise him, the rocks, the rocks are going to cry out. The rocks got more brains than most people got to praise God. Can you believe it? Rocks sing, rocks praise, rocks can cry out, you know. And what do we do with our ability, our breath to speak and declare? Come on. You got plenty you can do with your life. You think you're all hemmed in and poor you and you got no options and life is so terrible. Why don't you just start opening your mouth and using your breath to praise God? You can still do that. You know, make something of your life. Invest. You've got breath. invested in the kingdom of God. Uh, eyes. Then praise him for the creation. Um, be grateful. Um, give what you have to the Lord God and see what he can make of it. If, you've got, if you're done with it, give it to him. And if you're wise, you'll give it to him right now anyway. Um, so he, he stretched out the, the, the sky. He brings the counsel of the false prophets, the forecast of the future, to nothing. And, you know, here's the problem. Uh, we can't tell the false, false prophets from the real prophets, I don't think, most of the time, because we're not in the word of God, because we, don't, we go by feelings. The just shall live by what? Feelings? Faith? Feel-good stuff? Or by the truth? You, you know the truth in your spirit, but the trouble is you're not listening to your spirit because God's spirit is bearing witness with your spirit, what's really going on. But, but we have you know, uh, an ability to shut that off, turn that off, and be enticed, tickled. Our ears are itching, and that's one of the signs of the end times, by the way, is that we'll have itching ears, we'll turn away from the truth into fables and to... Um, uh, preachers who preach us stuff that we want to hear. Um, and a lot of them are preaching to you more religion, theology, works, not rest, grace, peace, goodness, love, and you're okay. And by the way, we're only okay because Jesus Christ's righteousness is in us, and that's what God is looking for. Okay, so how do you be okay and not be okay at the same time? Well, you've got to choose. Are you going to believe God or believe the devil? Who are you going to believe? That's the bottom line. It's so simple. Whose report are you going to believe? What God said or what the devil says? Or what you think you're listening to in your own head, which is basically in your head is the devil, in your, you know, your soul, your heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked, and your mind is corrupted and needs to be reprogrammed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I would say get out of your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, which is connected to your body, which has weaknesses as well, which is called the flesh, which isn't bad. It's just very set up to fail, and walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, somebody want to call in? You want to talk to me? You're so quiet out there. Um, come on, it's uh, 347-215-8051. Come on, we're going to tear this up a little bit tonight. Either you're going to talk to me or I'm going to talk to you. And let's do a commercial, though, because we got, you know, this thing with God. God is, is he, who is he, what is he, what's he doing, you know, what is your problem with God? Is he too big? Is he too um, far away? 
Um, is he too not uh, relatable? I mean, you can't relate to him because he sent Jesus and he's very relatable. But anyway, God on trial. God is on trial in the hearts and souls, minds of every man and woman, a boy and girl, everybody on this planet. God is the one on trial here because the devil's testing him and he's making us out to be the jury. Well, I've already put my vote in that God is good and his way is right. But anyway, listen to this little commercial and see what you think. The heavens shook. Satan fell. The war in heaven was ended, but the war on earth had just begun. I dare you to let me test them. Would you test them to find fault with me? Let them choose for themselves whom they will serve. Perfect disguise. So subtle, and yet alluring. You will be more like him. That is why he has marked it as separate. More like him? Mm. Here. Delicious. Uh, You see? Nothing to fear. But I am afraid of one thing. Oh, what is it, my darling? What about Adam? Adam, where are you? Adam. You lied to us. It's time you all suffer like he made me suffer. Those two are guilty and they will pay. Unless one can be found who is willing to pay the penalty for them. I demand my rights to a fair trial to determine my rights. You shall have your trial in the very hearts and souls of those you so freely seek to destroy. Well, then let them judge this matter. Let the accused become the judge, and the judge become the accused. Opening arguments. Yeah, that's our radio drama we've been working on. If you're interested, check us out at www.liferecovery.com. It's called God on Trial. And uh, each episode is 30 minutes long. There's about 12 of them finished. And we invite you to um, understand. It's, a, it's really inspiring, as you can tell. It's very well done. Um, talking about giving people an opportunity to really examine the facts examine God for who he is and what happened, what really went down, uh, especially in the Old Testament. We'll see as you go on. This was just a sample of the first three episodes. Uh, you'll, you'll see the introduction of several of the witnesses that come from the Old Testament and who have a bone to pick with God. We've got um, Nimrod. We've got Cain. We've got um, Lot's wife coming up. And so enjoy uh, a, a new way to learn the Bible. It's very scriptural. Um, this isn't, you know, I mean, it's, it's not made up. We just take it right out of the Bible, basically. So, um, but going back to the Lord God himself, he says he, he makes, you know, the diviners and the fools, the, or those who are trying to, you know, put him in a box, a God box, um, makes them foolish. Their, their knowledge is foolish. And then it says the Lord who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers who says to Jerusalem, she shall again be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah they shall again be built, and I will raise up her ruins. 
Isn't that the case? Isn't that the truth? You know, I mean, we now see Israel as blossoming and we see it full of um, uh, fruits and vegetables and the people returning just as God said in the, the last verse there, 28, he talks about Cyprus. Um, I'm sorry, Cyrus, not Cyprus, Cyrus. Uh, he is my shepherd ruler. He was the ruler of Persia. And God, you know, this man was an, uh, an, an unbeliever. And this was written by Isaiah like 600 years before Cyrus lived. And so God even names the guy who he's going to use to release the children of Israel from their captivity and, and bring them back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And so when Cyrus read this about himself in the ancient manuscripts of that time, the book of Isaiah, he was flabbergasted. Whoa, this is quite the God who named me, knew I would be the king of Persia, and, and at that point in time, put it in my heart to do exactly what I am going to do. And so, I mean, God, throughout the history of the Bible, there's just fabulous stories like this of, of God being faithful, God being um, fully capable of being final, being finishing what he starts. Um, and let's go to Exodus for a second. We're going to look at this God and who he says he is. I mean, we've already talked about some of his comments. Um, uh, let's see. We're going to go to Exodus, and we're going to do chapter 6. So if you want to find that with me, that would be awesome. Um, we're getting ready to, the children of Israel are, are trapped in a very bad place. And um, some of you are trapped in a very, very bad place. And you've been there for a long, long time. And you're feeling like this is never going to change. This is, is what it is. And you've really settled into believing a mindset, a lie. And you, those lies are so, you're so used to them. They're so familiar that you do not recognize them as any kind of bondage at all. You just think, well, this is my life. You know, uh, my life is. But if you look back and the patterns that have, been used to bring you to this place of whatever it is you're going through, rejection or abandonment or, or failure or sickness or broken relationships, whatever it is, that this pattern was set up when you were little and you were programmed into believing a bunch of stuff that just kept be getting reinforced throughout your life. Well, now the children of Israel have been in Egypt for a long time, almost, I would say at this point, probably about 200 years. And um, they had gotten used to being slaves. They had gotten used to, you know, hear these guys. You should, you should read. They were the, they were the warriors. They were the fierce ones, the sons of Jacob, who killed and, and kings and destroyed and tore apart cities and, and took no hostages. And I mean, they were big guys and, and powerful. And God was with them. And now their descendants had sunk into this cowardly, you know, uh, slavery, building the, the shrines, the temples for the, the gods. Of Egypt, and these were very heathen, vile gods, the sun god, the moon god, Ra, and Osiris, and Isis, and all the rest of them, and really, they're just a bunch of junk that was made up, but behind that made-up notion is a demon who actually gives power to the notion, and so behind the sticks and stones are demons, and so that's what it says in Corinthians, so when it looks like the stick and stone has life, because it can do things and people become afraid and so they they give food to the demon and they give sacrifices so that they won't, won't be cursed but it's really the treachery and the trickery of demons who are playing with them but going back to um, I, I, Exodus chapter 6 um, Moses is talking to God and uh, you know God's saying to the Lord says to Moses in verse 1 
Now you shall, you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For compelled by a strong hand, he will not only let them go, but he will drive them out of the land with a strong hand. In other words, he's not going to, he's going to chase them away. He's going to be so uh, desperate for them to leave. And God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty, how should I? But by my name, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, the redemptive name of God, I did not make myself known to them in acts and in great miracles. In other words, he reserved, he's, re, he's, identi- he's um, uh, describing or revealing himself uh, little by little to, uh, the, to the patriarchs of the test, Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They knew God as El Shaddai, the almighty God, the big, powerful, mighty, strong one and only God. But Yahweh, the redemptive name of God, he did not make known to them. So now God is going to reveal himself to Moses and the people of Israel in this act of redemption and bringing them back out of bondage. And that's what redemption is, to bring us back out of bondage. And so his character here is seen as Yahweh or the redemptive one. Um, So he's going to do that in acts and great miracles. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan the land of their temporary residence in which they were strangers. Now, Abraham had been given the promise to, that God gave him as the Almighty God that he was going to give him the land of Canaan, but Abraham never actually owned it. He lived in it. He used it. He, his flocks ate grass from there, and they dug wells there. So did Isaac and Jacob. Uh, but they, they were nomads kind of in that land. They never, they never were the kings of the, that place. They had their own little tribe and they were king, kings in their, in their own you know, nation, but they were within another nation. And so they themselves, uh, it says Abraham went to, you know, looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, a city to come. And actually it's proved because when he went to bury Sarah, he had to buy a burial plot. Now, if you'd own the land, you wouldn't have to buy it. You could just bury her where you wanted to. So he bought the, the cave of, um, I think it was Mamre. Anyway, and that's where a lot of the people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and some of their wives and stuff were buried. Uh, but Abraham, his great test was, and you think, you know, God's given you a promise. God gave Abraham a promise. And Abraham lived and died and didn't see the fulfillment of the promise, going back to faith. Well, maybe Abraham didn't hear God right. Yes, he did hear God right. But God did not say, I'm going to finish this whole big deal in your lifetime. A lot of times we we think that we lock God in our little um, perceptions and our, our our interpretations of what He's saying, and then when He doesn't come through like we thought He would, um, we get discouraged, disappointed, and we you know question the existence of God or the goodness of God when it was really a, a confusion. Uh, Abraham didn't say, "Well, God, I did I hear you right?" You know, I still don't, and it was a mockery. I mean, you have to think about it. All the people of the land knew that Abraham was supposed to inherit the land because he probably told them he was supposed to have a son and he had one son. He didn't have a stars of the sea of the, of the sky and sand of the seashore, a number of children at this point. And so the people probably said, yeah, he's a foolish old guy. Just believing in this stupid God that, you know, our idols do better for us than this one true God thing. But Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He did not grow weary. He didn't waver at the promise. And if you've got a promise in your life, don't waver. It may take three generations to fulfill it, but don't worry about it. God does not lie. If God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. 
And don't be thinking, well, maybe I didn't hear him right. You know, the devil wants to bring that doubt into your mind too. Just hang on to the promise, rest in and live your life each day to the fullness and the glory and gratitude towards God. So he says, um, verse 5, I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians have enslaved, and I have earnestly remembered my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God was remembering this thing that had been forgotten practically by everybody else, including the ones who it had been made to, and he was um, going to go back and redeem them. Accordingly, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the, bu- the burdens of Egypt, and I will free you from their, bo- their bondage, and I will rescue you for- with an outstretched hand, with special and vigor- vigorous action. Whoa. Like plagues, maybe? Uh, <laughs> and by mighty acts of judgment. You know, I, I really believe that, little, that was a little foretaste of what the redemption is going to look like for the righteous when it all comes down at the end. I'm not saying we're going to get out here, out of here without a scratch. But I'm saying God is going to do pretty powerful things. And at that point in time, you do not want to be on the wrong side. You do not be wanting to wonder if you're going to make it. You are going to need to know that you're cool and you're okay with God and you're going to be um, in his favor, in his presence forevermore. This is nothing to wait around and, and figure out later. This is not no decision to relegate to your deathbed for crying out loud. And if you already are serving God and decide to serve him, then serve him. Do it. 100%. You know, you have a chance. You don't have to be, you don't want to be a wimpy 10% when you can be 100% or 99% fruitful. You have a choice. You know, say, but, 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 well, well you don't know. You don't understand. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I understand or not. The truth is God is able to complete the work he's begun in you and finish it with flying colors if you will let him. And stop listening to the lies. The poor me, the oh no, I can't. I mean, come on, this is like, it's, it's your life. Stop and think about it. I won't get you your reward, you won't get mine. But if I give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ, I'll get a reward for that. But the thing is, you know, you're not going to get on your grandma's prayers and coattails because she was a good grandma and she loved God. You have got to walk this out for yourself and make a choice. And it's scary because this world is so ever-present in your face and there's all kinds of, you know, um, things that the devil will do to blackmail and intimidate those who would follow Christ. But you're just going to have to lay down the sin. It's not worth it. I have some people in my world that are very, they're, they're, they're holding a lot of grudges. They're very bitter, very unforgiving. And I remember one time, that was, I had that happened to me when I was a first new believer. I was very angry and bitter against, and it was kind of a righteous, a righteous indignation in my spirit, but I was too young in the Lord. I didn't even know what that meant. But I was really, my spirit was really stirred up and, and upset about how I saw this church thing going where we happened to be going to church. I, I just, there was something wrong. I didn't know what it was. So all I could do was think of, I'm really mad at, ticked off at the leadership in this little, actually it was a cult, but I didn't know it was a cult at the time. I thought it was, you know, really a dedicated, um, uh, you know, these, we were just true and dedicated and, and, and uncompromising and everybody else was sinning, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I was walking past the church one Sunday morning or whatever on the sidewalk and this voice came to me and it says, well, you know, Is that bitterness you're carrying in your heart, is that worth going to hell over? (laughs) I mean, is that worth going to hell over? 
And I stopped and thought, absolutely. Me being mad at her and, and, and that group of people, is it worth me going to hell over? And I just said, no, no, no. She's not worth going to hell over. It's not worth going to hell over. I'm not going to, you know, this is God's problem. And I just right then and there made the decision that it was a decision. It wasn't a feeling. Nothing made, nothing stopped. It still got, it, it still went on for another six, seven years with this, this group. But in my heart, it changed because um, I was moving on. I was spiritually growing again and God was showing me stuff and it wasn't easy at all. But I decided nobody is worth going to hell over. To stay mad at somebody just for the sake of staying mad at them so you can prove you're right or you stay mad so that it can be brought up again before God and so you've got to hold on to this grievance until it can be brought up before God. Don't you think God's got it written down somewhere? I'm serious. It's not going to be like... Um, you're going to have to remind him of anything. But anyway, so what do you got in your life and your world that you think is worth going to hell over right now? Stop. Think it out. Because if, it, if it's really worth going to hell over, then give yourself to it. If it's not, then get out of it. Give it up. And you know, I've tried to forgive and they don't change. Yet that doesn't, that's got nothing to do with you. You, by an act of your will, release them from your judgment. Sure, they committed crimes against you. You bet they did. And the whole point is to get you so ticked and so mad and so stubborn and so rebellious for so long that you lose out on your opportunities and the devil is just licking his chops. He's got such a hold on you. Forgive them. Release them. You know, your pride, that thing, is not even you. So why are you defending it? Stay mad when it's not even you. It's well, I'm mad at God. Yeah, really? Where's I'm mad at God from, heaven or hell? There's only two kingdoms. So if you think I'm mad at God, think again. It's a demon in your head who's telling you you're mad at God so that he can keep you in that position and you will not repent. Repent means to change your mind. Actually, repent, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, I think it is. That was his opening words. Jesus, opening words, when he hit the pavement, when he hit the, the desert with his sandals, he says, here it is, guys, repent, repent, change your mind. Here it is, think differently, change your mind, re- re- regretting your sins and changing your conduct, regretting your sins enough to change your conduct. You say, well, I, can't, I can't do that. You're right, but the Holy Spirit can, and it's his job, but he cannot force you to do something. You have to cooperate. You say, but thy will be done, God. Lord, I can't do this. Jesus said of my own self, I can do nothing. But through God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's kind of like that. It's kind of like you, repent means I've got to change my mind. I can't do it. What's the lie I've been believing? I want to change that out for the truth, which will bring me freedom. Okay, so we're back to Egypt now. And so the children of Israel had been in Egypt a long time. And guess what? They'd gotten, Egypt had gotten into them just like the lies have gotten into us. You know, there's um, the, uh, the lies have gotten, see, when he, when he could take, there was two problems God had with the children of Israel, and there's two problems he's got with us. Number one, they were trapped in Egypt. They were trapped in Egypt, and they were under the, the influence of all these false gods, and the Egyptians, and the, the slavery, and the mindsets, and the poverty, and the oppression, and the misery, and the injustice, and it's really got bad. I mean, they, they, their kids were being destroyed, and, and we know the story of Moses 
how that they tried to kill all the male children to de- decrease the population. That's nothing new. They've been trying to do that forever and a day, still trying to do it. And so they had gotten, Egypt had gotten into them. They were in the land of Egypt, but Egypt had also gotten into them. And so they were kind of settling for this kind of a, this is my life. You know, the same with us. We are in the world. We're in the Egypt, the world, the type of the world. We're in there. So God has got to get us out of the world but he's also got to get the world out of us. So even when God got the children of Israel out of Egypt, Egypt was still in them. And so that's why he had, they had a chance after about, you know, whatever it was. It takes 11 days, basically, to get from Egypt to Canaan. Isn't that amazing? Because remember how many times Joseph, I mean, Joseph's brothers did it. An 11-day journey. It wasn't a 40-year journey to get from the Canaan land of Canaan to Egypt because they got grain there a couple of times. They'd have been uh, 80 years old just making two trips. So it, wasn't, it wasn't that long. Eight, 11, 12 days. And, and yet when they got at the point where they had a chance to, you know, take the land, go in, check it out, giants there, uh-oh, can't do that. We're, we're afraid. We're scared. God says, oh, guys. So he let them wander around in the desert for 40 years, going around in a circle basically, until everybody over 20 died. They died because they still had all the markings of Egypt and the fear in their hearts, except for Caleb and Joshua. And then Caleb and Joshua, they got to go in and help take the land. It was quite amazing. But and for us, too, you know, when you get so marked, so steeped, so saturated in the ways of this world, the God of this world, the gods of this world, it's going to take something to deprogram us. And that's exactly what sanctification is. So salvation is you die. Salvation is not just being born again. You can't be born again until you're dead. The other side of the coin, you die. So we're dead to this world. We, we're dead to this life. We're dead and, and resurrected, brought up into newness of life. That's what that's, that watery grave of that symbolic baptism. As you go down under the water, that's a watery grave. You die. It's not washing you, it's sprinkling water on your head. Like a washing, it's not like washing off your sins. It's like you die. That's the point of it. Now, some people get baptized and they wash their baby's heads with water and they pour water and say words. You are really just dedicating your child to the Lord God, and that's fine. I mean, he understands that you just, that's all you got right now. But when that child, it says, um, it says, it says repent and be baptized. So the child at two days old, six weeks old, is not going to do much repenting, I don't think. So that child needs to make this their own thing. And so... Um, that's okay. I mean, you didn't do anything wrong by dedicating but but the watery grave is the death. God wants us to know that salvation is being saved out of Egypt, being saved out of this world, being being saved out of, we're no longer citizens of the devil's kingdom. The, the, the God of this world, this world um, is not our home. You know, we're, this is our domicile, but we're not, we, we, we don't, this is not my, I'm a citizen of heaven. So the second thing is now to get Egypt out of us. That's called sanctification. That's called deprogramming. That's called being, uh, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So as we continue in his word, God brings freedom. God brings the revelation of truth, and that's where we repent. We change our mind. We stop believing the lie. We cast it off. We say we disagree. We cancel out the agreement. Lord, I no longer choose to believe that I am stupid. 
I, I, I cancel out every agreement I've made with I'm never going to make it. I cancel out every agreement I've made with it's up to me. I cancel out every agreement I've made with I've got to, you know, make everybody happy. Whatever the lie or lies are, the Holy Spirit will show you what they are. And he's very gentle. He's not there to make you feel stupid or ashamed. He's actually there to rejoice and bring you to the truth and bring you to freedom because then after you cancel out the lie, then you believe the truth and the truth brings forth the fruits of freedom. And so... um uh, so God is here in this in Egypt now, and he's actually making, establishing his, his existence in, the, in, in keeping of the covenant. And he calls himself uh, Yahweh. Let's read on. He says, um, let's see. Uh, let's see, verse 7. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you God, and you shall know that I, the Lord your God, who is your God, is the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning which I lifted up my hand and swore that I would give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage. For I am the Lord. You have the pledge of my, my changeless omnipotence and faithfulness. You have the pledge of God. It says when God could swear by no other, he swore by himself. And so he was saying, you are my, uh, you can count on me. I don't lie. I don't change. I don't, I don't, um, you know, bait and switch. I keep my word. I follow through. So Moses told this to the Israelites, but they refused to listen to Moses because of their impatience and anguish of spirit because of their cruel bondage. Back it up, slow it down, say it again. They refused to listen, believe, trust, step forward, leave Egypt. They said, well, what's out there in the desert? We don't know. At least we got leeks and garlics here and a few melons once in a while. What do we got out there? We don't know. There's no water. There's no food. There's no grass for our sheep. There's nothing. We are not going to go out there. That is sheer stupidity and, and suicide. So they were not, and they were, but, but their uh, anguish and their impatience had caused, because of the cruel bondage, had caused them to become um, tired unable to believe i i i've heard of people who are i you know i know this is true i actually heard of it this week but of a, of a gal who was very old and died and her whole life was totally miserable she was a believer she actually accepted jesus when she was probably a young woman um but and she knew some of the bible but she was fearful controlling not that good of a mother um, caused a lot of confusion, got a lot of hurts in her life, got, there was a divorce, there was rejection, there was abandonment, there was, and all this stuff added up to the place where she could not even forgive, she couldn't make a move spiritually, she was just like um, done. She, she couldn't believe God anymore, could not believe God anymore for anything, didn't believe God for anything. So she was, but... It's interesting. It's wonderful that God is faithful and knows all this stuff. And I'm not encouraging you with this to just go off and put it off. But I'm saying that your pain, your suffering, um, you know, and here's the deal. The more you complain about it, the more you think about it, the more you meditate on it, the worse it gets. You know, the more you give place to that fear, the more you, you know, I mean, for example, if something is hurting on your body, the more you talk about it, the more you, you say, oh, my elbow, oh, this just hurts, oh, 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 oh. 
you know, the more you do that, the more this pain gets, you're permitting him, you're endorsing him, you're giving him permission to continue to be there. If you'd say, you know what, spirit of pain, get off of me. You, we, do we realize, if we could, if we could see it, how much of what we're being distracted with, how much of the aches, the pains, the setbacks, the, the, the lost keys, the spilt milk, the whatever, is just demonic harassment. And put up with it because we believe, oh, that's just life. Oh, everybody has a little pain now and then. Oh, you know what? Did Jesus have a, a lot of pain? Yeah, I know he died on the cross. He had pain. But I mean, did he every day, did we talk about, oh, he had a cold today. He was, you know, he was under the weather today or, you know, I mean, do the disciples, I mean, I know Paul left somebody at somewhere sick. I understand that. But, you know, all things work together for good. But I'm saying in the general, ordinary, everyday little things, what are we permitting with what we're permitting? So the children of Israel, they were in their great anguish. They couldn't believe Moses. They couldn't believe it was too good to be true. It wasn't going to happen because they were used to it. Do you get that? Are you used to settling? Are you used to not having anything because that's the way it's been and it's been so reinforced? The devil, of course, does not want you to have anything because you might do something good with it. So it's not about you. Your life is not about if you deserve it or not deserve it. Your life is about you're the servant of the Most High God. If the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, the, you know, the, the king of kings, the Lord of us, wants you to do something or have something, then it's to be done. And he's got to provide it. And it's not about you earning it. It's not about you deserving it. It's about, and a lot of you, speaking of this, is totally off on a little goose chase here, but I do a lot of counseling. And right now, it seems like I've had a lot of rash of people who are having trouble getting their inheritances. And... um you know, these are righteous people, godly people, and the devil is holding up their inheritance for some odd, silly reason. Other people got their fingers in the pot trying to steal it from them, or there's, there's war around it, or, you know, they've been, their, their uh, I don't know, positions have been thwarted, and, and the, the inheritances are being, you know, the enemy's trying to siphon it, suck it off to give it some of, to his, his cronies or whatever. God wants you to have that part of, how he wants to bless you, that you can be a blessing. And a lot of times people um, just kind of go back to I'm not worthy. What will happen will happen. Um, I don't want to, you know, whatever. You stop giving in like that, at least before the Lord. You say, no, Lord God, if you want me to have this, I want to have this. This belongs to your kingdom. Uh, and, And a marriage the same way. Marriages are the same way. They don't belong to you. Your marriage does not belong to you. It belongs to the kingdom of God. And God wants that marriage well. He wants it strong. He wants it for his kingdom. And so many times people think, well, that's my marriage. That's my, you know, whatever. No, if you're God's, everything you've got belongs to him. And it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about your sin. It's not about you being better. It's about dying. It's about being brought back to life through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Um, Does that make sense? You know, so too many times people are so um, pulled into their anguish and their bitterness and their grief and their sorrows and their troubles and their woes that, you know, people don't even know how to help them or where to start anymore. So they just give them medications and say, well, here, take that. But the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, the one he says, I appeared to Abraham. I will rescue you from your bondage. I will take you as my people. I've remembered the covenant. I will keep my promise with Abraham. 
Um, and the children of Israel, they were kind of, you know, guarded, jaded, hard, skeptical, unsure about God. But, you know, as he's talking, he says, I've heard your cry. I know how it hurts. I know your sorrow, your suffering. I've come down to deliver you um, out of the power of the hand of the Egyptians. And then, um, um, but he, Moses, he gets a little nervous and he says, but go, go, God says, go tell the Pharaoh, you know, to let my people go. And Moses says, but Lord, behold, my people, the Israelites, have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh give heed to me? Who am, I, who am deficient and impeded in speech? Moses saying, how can I do this? Look at me. I'm nothing. I can't even talk right. Um, he was making it about himself. Moses was making it about himself right there. And God says, he was patient with him, and he says, well, here. He says, I will tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send Abraham, uh, Aaron with you, <clears throat> and he's going to help you out. So there's, you know, it, it, then Moses went. I mean, he had to know that it was not about him. Uh, he was willing to do the will of God. And um, God says to Moses in Exodus 3, 14 and 15, let's look at that for a second. This is a good one. Um, we're getting back to the identity of God, 3.14, Exodus 3.14, God says. Um, and God says to Moses, well, Moses says, first of all, to God, well, who should I say sent me to, to Pharaoh? Who are you? Well, what should I tell him? They're going to want a name here. Uh, Moses said to God, behold, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am, and what I am, I will be what I will be. And he said, you shall say this to the Israelites. I am has sent you, me to you. I am. That's bottom line. It's all capitals. I am. I exist. I am the pre-existent one. I existed forever. I am who I am. Um, in other words, I'm in complete agreement with myself. I'm totally unchanging. Uh, I am complete. I am fully developed. I am um, all-sufficient. I don't need anything else to endorse my existence or to sustain my existence. I am who I am. And what I am, what I am, what I am, what am I? I am the God of heaven and earth. I am the creator. I am the redeemer. What I do, what I do, I am. I am what I do. But I am being, a being. I am, it's talking about a state of a being, and that's what we are to we're beings, not doings, human beings, not human doings. I will be what I will be. In other words, he's talking about his future. He says, I will be what I will be. What it's, it's already done. It's completed. It's finished. It's written. Um, the future is not the future because the future is now. The future is, was in the past. It's all one. Uh, I, 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 the beginning, middle, and end is, was, and will be. All are the same in the eternal now. That's why heaven is forever, because it's always just eternally now. There is no timeline in heaven. Um, it's just now, whatever that is. I mean, maybe we'll think about, you know, tomorrow in heaven. I don't know. Maybe there's no tomorrows in heaven. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there should be. But, you know, we have to, we kind of right now we're adapted to a timeline. You know, tomorrow I got to go to work. Tomorrow I got to, tomorrow's Friday. Oh, tomorrow I can, you know. But God isn't, he's saying the future is done. You know, I am, the beginning is done. The beginning and the middle and the end are all one. It's all the same. And there's a, a kind of an interesting passage in Ephesians that says, from the foundation of the world, he knew about us. So, 
Um, that's a pretty long time ago. Now, it doesn't, doesn't mean you existed forever and always, but that he knew about you. He knew about your existence. He knew that you were coming into being. This is a pretty big God, people. This is not just some little made-up Cracker Jack box God. This is a pretty big deal. And so he said, I am who I am. I am. Now, th- this is also your identity. I am. I am. Who is that? What does that mean? I am. I am God's. I am the daughter of God. I am the son of God. I am the created son of God or the created daughter of God. Um, I am who God says I am. I am complete in him. Does that make sense to you? By the way, anybody want to call? It's time. You should call. We're running out of time. And um, you guys are so quiet out there tonight. But anyway, maybe I'm just talking too fast and you can't hardly get a word in edgewise. But he says, I will certainly be with you. Verse 12, God says, um, I will surely be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, Horeb or Sinai. And so God is, is trying to assure Moses that he's in his will. It's going to be okay. Uh, and notice how with each passing patriarch or generation, God gets, we see a little bit more of God's character until we get to the place where we, we see him in the days of King David when there was this real fellowship and worship going on with God. And he was, um, you know, as a father pities his children, so the Lord has mercy upon those who, um, who seek him and, and all of these things. So God is, and then by the time we get down to the real revelation of the final, you know, Christ as the express image of God, in Hebrews chapter 1, it, it's, um, let's go there for a second. You know, uh, God had to relate to us on our terms in a way because we couldn't come up to, go up to heaven to see him. He came down here. And that's what gave Jesus his authority because he knew where he was from. And you say, well, yeah, this is kind of, you know what? Heaven is real, people. The place Jesus came from, the place he's coming back from, uh, he went up to heaven Again, he ascended. He's coming back from the That place is real. There is really a heaven, and there is a place in time, in your lifetime, and it may be in your lifetime after you've died, but it may, it's going to be because we're eternal beings. We're not going to you know, cease to exist anymore. We don't just die and turn into worms and go on the ground. What a total waste that would be. And in, in that case, you, you were an accident. You were a tragedy is what you were. But we have a purpose. God knew it from the beginning. So, um, but, we, but Jesus, because he knew where he was from, he had that authority. And that was because the, the uh, um, Pharisees said, well, what gives you the authority to talk to us like this? And he says, well, because I know where I'm from. But it says in Hebrews chapter 1, um, I'm going to try this out in the New King James. God, who at various times and in different ways, spoke in times to the fathers by the prophets, that's what we're looking at in Moses, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So we see that, you know, there's God again telling us what he did. And he he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really say, okay, I hope you believe me. I mean, um, you know, I'm going to, he's saying, this is it, you know, this is there's no there's no real need for discussion here because I already put it in your heart. 
to know that this is true. And so if we just listen to our spirit, you already know this is true. I don't have to convince you. And in, in the Amplified of Hebrews 1, it says, In many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth. A portion. Notice. Separate revelations. Continuing, ongoing, progressive revelations. Not changing of the truth, but the revealing of the truth. It's like doing a painting. And you start out with, uh, you know, whatever you're going to start out with in the, the background, the foreground, and then you start painting the, um, the, the, you know, the objects or whatever you're going to paint. You know, the first couple of minutes, the first couple of days, you're going to see the general, but either the general outline, the general whatever it might be. You might even know what it is by that time. But you don't get the full revelation until the thing is completed. And so that's what God is doing. Um, set forth a portion of the truth in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. So the prophets in those days were men who were really, their job was to tell the people about God. But in these last days, that would be 2,000 years ago, he has spoken to us in the person of a son, pointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom he created the world and the reaches of space. And the ages of time he made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. So through Jesus Christ, who in the beginning also, also existed as part of the Trinity, but he was called the Word. God spoke the Word. And so if Jesus is the Word, then God spoke. And through the Word, things were created. Then through Jesus Christ, things were created. If the Word equals Jesus. So all things were made through him, by him, and in him all things consist. It's um, really a side note here, but it's interesting that all of the body, your physical body, is held together by a, uh, a molecular structure of a thing called laminin, which is in the form of a cross. It's the cells that hold all the cells together so that you don't fall apart. I mean, it's like you're with your, uh, the, the uh, superstructure, the, in, um, the, the uh, knitting of yourself together so that your organs stay in place and that your muscles hold things in place and your bones don't fall apart and everything is not, you, know, it's like you, you stay in the sack you're in. It's held together by laminin and laminin is in the form of a cross. And of course, Jesus brought forth life to us for, through the cross. So, verse 3, he is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outraying or radiance of the divine. He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. When he had, by offering himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Now, isn't that interesting? These revelations are culminating in the, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, is we, we, we're shown uh, some of his story, you know, descriptions, what he did and stuff, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we see a human being who was divine, the, um, the Superman, who didn't look super. I mean, Superman in the movie, you know, half the time he's this little scrawny kid who doesn't look super or nothing. Or is that Spider-Man? I don't know. One or the other. They're all the same to me. <laughs> You guys were the, you know. But anyway, half the time he doesn't look anything but ordinary and so ordinary that you don't even notice he's, you know, you wouldn't think anything of him being 
powerful. But Jesus was like that. He came uh, as one of us, common, um, human, uh, got dirty, thirsty, dusty, you know, all of all of what we have to go through as humans. So he really was in all points tempted and tested like as us. But at the same time, um, he represented God. Now, you know, he brought a gospel to us. And that gospel has been surely... Um, massacred. I, I, I think it's been, there's nothing been, that's been more a threat to the devil in all of creation. Two things, the arrival of Jesus Christ on the planet and the depositing of the gospel of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, the gospel of grace and mercy. Uh, so the devil couldn't get rid of the gospel, you know, just like he couldn't get rid of the Bible. So it, it, there's another way around that. If you can't get rid of the one and only you make many that look like it, that are counterfeits, that are imitations. And so with the gospel, the gospel of grace, truth, and mercy, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The devil created a whole bunch of counterfeit gospels that are, you know, full of good works and guilt and give up and get mad and go away and gossip. You know, I mean, it's, it's, the, the church is full of all of it. And the gospel of grace and mercy and the truth, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by one thing, you know, not how much money you put in the offering plate, not, not the, 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 the height of your steeples or the, the, the shiny stained glass or the, the pretty, uh, you know, whatever, you know, candles and candelabras and statues you have in your church. No, 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 no. They'll know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Love means that I care as much about you as I care about me. I, I, you know, I want you to know what I know. I want you to be as full of God's grace, mercy, love, favor, blessing, fruitfulness, opportunity as I am. I want you to know the truth, the truth that will set you free. That's, I want you to be all that you can possibly be in God and for God, for the kingdom of God's sake. And that's what um, love is. Love is to know and be known. Love isn't to like and, and, and get along with. And Jesus said, you know, if you give a supper, don't call your friends and, you know, they're going to pay you back. They're going to have you over to their house. Call the people who can't pay you back. Then, then we'll know that it's really done out of love because there's no ulterior motives here. It's just good old-fashioned. I love you. I want to bless you. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love suffers a lot. And for some of you who think you don't know how to love and it seems like your, um, your, your life is um, going, you know, I mean, your relationships, everything is just, just sad and, and, and suffering, that's called love. You're waiting it out. You're waiting to see what God will do. You just keep believing God to touch those children, to bring them back. They're not your problem, really, they, and they're not your fault. Yeah, the devil makes, wants you to think that, but, for example, um, God is a parent, too, and he's got a lot of rebellious kids, and he's not a bad parent, so let's not go there. Let's just keep believing God that these kids belong to him. Um, and so let's take a 10-second break here. We're going to do a commercial on the store, the Life Recovery store. So here we go. Life Recovery offers a wide variety of books, teaching manuals, CDs, and DVDs, all designed to expose Satan's lies and equip believers with the powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. All right. That was pretty simple. (laughs) 
you know, it's good for us to have these kind of tools because, um, you know, sometimes there's so much sad and so much we could we fill your mind with good things. What's service, pure, lovely, honest, just enough, good report. That's what you want to think about, not about all the oh no's and what ifs of the world. And so um, we encourage you to get some of these materials, read them. Uh, there's everything in there from devotional books to uh, guides on spiritual warfare uh, and stuff like that. By the way, if you're in Minneapolis this coming Saturday, which would be June 7th, um, I'm going to be doing a men's breakfast in Rogers. You can check the website for the details. You have to be a man to get there, and uh, it's, it's uh, 9 o'clock, I think, in the morning in Rogers. So you're welcome to come. We're not t- talking about spiritual warfare and riling up the troops a little bit over there. So, um, you know, and if you've got questions, if you, you know, too shy to talk to me on the radio, email them to me, mcole at liferecovery.com or info, I-N-F-O, at liferecovery.com. Give us your questions. And uh, we love it. We'd love to hear from you. And I am ex- and, and happy to hear that some of you are actually, you know, doing the archive deal and putting this on your iPod and, and taking me uh, on the road with you or taking Jerry and I on the road with you. He's on the road himself tonight. So we're, we're here soloing it a little bit. But we, we really got to realize the seriousness of this day that you're living, your life. Um, God is, you know, let's go on for a little bit. I want to look at another way we deny the reality of God. Let's go to Romans. This is one of the most, I don't know, I, uh, what's the word, modern, um, prophetic, accurate descriptions of what has happened um, to mankind. And it's written in Romans, Romans chapter 1 by Paul, who um, Right, right after he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But then he goes into a whole discourse on um, um, how about the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So let's go to verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, if you're following on. I'm going to leave, read the Amplified here tonight. All right. Um, for the gospel of for in the gospel, a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed to the way of faith that arouses to more faith. As is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and, and shall live by faith. So faith pr- provokes faith. Faith brings forth more faith. Um, and if you want more faith, be more faithful. That's what Jesus said to the disciples in Luke, if you want more faith, just be more obedient. But going back into uh, Romans, uh, keep on reading there. Um, For the holy wrath wrath and indignation are revealed from, for God's holy wrath and indignation are revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness repress and hinder the truth and make it inoperative. Whoa, and isn't that the truth? God gets mad at what's going on here. Uh, the indignation, you know, revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness, the unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness repress, hinder, hold back the truth and make it ineffective, inoperative. And how many people suffer when the truth uh, is trampled? There's no justice. There's no hope. There's just more brutality, more cruelty, more meanness, more uh, the injustice prevails. It becomes very discouraging when injustice prevails. Um, 
For what may be known about God is evident to them and made plain in their inner consciences because God himself has made it known to them. So God is, he has kept the, the testimony of his reality, his, tr- true, his truth, his, his, his um, existence, plain in our inner consciences. It's there in your spirit. For ever since the creation of the world, his, his invisible uh, nature and attributes, that is his eternal power and divinity, have been made intelligible and clearly discernible in and through the things that have been made his handiwork. So God's creation is testifying to his invisible uh, nature. Yes, invisible, but at the same time, it's very visible through the work of his hands. So, yeah, we got a caller here. How about that? I'm ready. Hello? Sure. I'm, uh, can you hear me? I can hear you good. You know, when you're talking about children being abused and the fear that develops there, I was thinking today about fear of dying. I think what happens with a child, you know, as you're talking about Romans 1 and talking about the testimony of God's reality, Mm-hmm. I think Satan steals that mm-hmm. when a child is abused. So then mm-hmm. we have the the conflict between dying to fear or fear of dying. Because <laughs> Very I, good. I don't believe that we have... When a person is fearful, you were talking about a man who um, who was buying back into his old way of thinking and I think that we mm-hmm. we buy back into the mm-hmm. uh, reality of our childhood when we were scared mm-hmm. to death that mm-hmm. we were going to die and we did not know that dying was okay yeah. that dying would lead us to God that dying would lead us to heaven to a wonderful God and so mm-hmm. fear of dying becomes an part of that, part of the, yeah. you know. yeah, part of the program. It, yeah, you're right. Fear of dying because a child who's afraid they're going to die, they don't know. They think they're well. Some maybe would, but if it's under a very tormenting circumstance, would probably more likely believe that they're going to go into nothingness. They're right. going to cease to exist, and then there's no joy and no delight and no intrigue to do that. Um, Don't you so, think it's built into us to not want to die? Absolutely. We're built to live and we're built to want to live. And that's why we buy into all the devil's solutions to help us solve our problems because he gives us a problem like fear, fear of dying. And then, for example, that child who's being abused at that moment, whether the, they're, the, the first probably um, recommendation the enemy would give would be some sort of disassociation or disconnecting, or numbing out, or agreeing with the lie, I don't want to feel, I don't want to think, I don't want to remember. So this program of fear of dying then becomes submerged underneath in the subconscious, and so the person doesn't really even know it's there. And so, But yet, everything from that point on is filtered through the fear of dying, or uh, the subconscious you know, desire to live and not know. So here you are, not wanting to die, and at the same time you've made an agreement, a, a, contradicting, a contradicting agreement that I don't want to live, I don't want to know, I don't want to remember. So you've kind of like, 
got this, um, I call it a torture act thing going on. But totally, you're right. When a child, and, and these are the things that become so much a part of us because they were formed in childhood. That's the programming. That's the mindset. And, um, you know. So then when you have this built into the subconscious like like yeah. that, it seems to me that that would show up maybe even more even in the night when you're trying to sleep and you're trying to self-protect and... Right. Well, especially if the trauma, you know, you have to look at the um, the triggers uh, that are the, the the events, the circumstances that are going on at the time of the trauma or at the time of the abuse. If there's loud noises, if it's dark, if it's claustrophobic, if it's um, uh, smelly, whatever the, is are the the environmental sensory um, perceptions, those will become the triggers later. So. I know people who have been abused sexually and the smells will trigger uh, the, re- the, the, the memory because uh, the, um, this, the olfactory gland is right at the center of where the limbic system is and the limbic system is the, kind of the emotional center of the brain where it deals right. with emotions. So, but yeah, you're right. And so if it's dark in that abusive moment, it's nighttime, then nighttime would, would signal you know, scared, don't want to go to bed, um, and then how am I going to keep myself awake if that's what they need to do? Maybe it's, they've got to stay awake. Uh, it depends on to what be, the devil is that, to, to be safe. Yeah, i got to keep yeah, myself to, awake. Like, I, if I stay awake, no one can attack me or something. Right, I've got to know? keep sleep with one eye open or whatever. And so then they, they start to get sleep-deprived, and they start to lose their ability to really rest. And that, be, that becomes a health issue. A real, I mean, an ongoing lack of sleep, exhaustion, body's not resting, body's not um, re- replenishing itself, and so they're in an entrapment. Now, this is a pretty obvious one. Um, I think some of the less obvious ones are like being bullied on a playground or some things like that that happen at school that don't look as scary um, or terrible, uh, but yet they also can fashion and form long-standing life, life patterns in people's ways they, they do things. And I think uh, if, if this person is, is traumatized as a child and still having trouble sleeping now, there's definitely a connection uh, between the insomnia, the inability to sleep, or the, whatever they're doing in the actions in the night uh, to try to stay awake. There's definitely a connection. So does so that make sense? Probably the, the child trying to stay awake, and then there's demons saying, watch out, watch out. Right, 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 exactly, because you're going to have the, always the polar effects. You're always going to have the, the contrary, the, I call it the torture act, like I said, where you're going to have one, one, I've got to, you know, stay awake, guard myself, be alert, stay. Um, and the other one on the other side saying, uh, well, what do I do? How do I do that? And the other one's saying, I don't want to know. Uh, you know, so you've got just torn in several different directions. I don't want to remember. I don't want to know. I'm scared. I'm little. I can't do it. And on the other side, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to be strong. I've got to stay alert and stay awake. So you've got that torture rack, that tormenting. Uh, and this becomes uh, a source of, like, a lot of conflict, migraines, um, distractions, uh, attention deficits, hyperactivity. I think hyperactivity is, is really rooted in uh, always in a lot of anticipating of danger. 
you know, so the people have to be very vigilant, wiggling, looking around. I know people who would walk into a room and they would, they would uh, make a quick assessment of the room and find out, define where all the doors and exits are, and they would position themselves in the room uh, to be where they could escape because they were in that, even as adults, they were in that self-preserving mode. And um, this is just the way, I mean, you know, we just do this without even thinking about it. That's, that's the danger of it. You don't see it. You don't even see it as a lie because you don't see you're doing it. You're, so the Lord has to show us. So does that... Um, Makes sense. So, what's the answer then? Is it is the answer uh, the reality of God? Well, the answer is the truth. Whatever the truth is at that moment, where Jesus Christ calls Himself in Revelation one five the faithful witness. So, Jesus Christ becomes the counselor. Jesus Christ takes you back to that moment where you came into the agreement with that lie that I'm a little, I'm afraid, I've got to take care of myself, I've got to stay awake, whatever it is, I'm scared of the dark, this is terrible, I'm, go- I'm afraid I'm going to die, um, but I don't want to die. All of these are lies that were instilled in that one moment. There's maybe 9, 10, 12 lies. So, so you ask Jesus Christ, who is the truth teller, to go into that place with you. And, be, and, of course, he already was there. So, I mean, it's just like you becoming aware that he was there. And then asking him by his Holy Spirit to show you the truth about what really happened. And um, that is that truth, that revelation of truth that begins to set you free from the terror of the uh, conditioning, the demonic conditioning. Is that um, So, for example, I'm Jesus, Son of the Living God, I would ask him, where were you when this little one was being uh, abused and, and the question would be answered. Well, he was there. Um, now, sometimes the child doesn't know it, obviously, but that doesn't mean he wasn't there because Jesus is everywhere. And so right. all the time. So then the next question is, well, what did you want to tell the child, this child, her or him when they were being terrified by fear? Uh, and what was the lie fear was telling him? So fear was saying, I'm afraid I'm going to die. Um, and I don't want to die. So, and then Fear was saying, but so if you don't want to die, then you've got to do this, whatever it is, stay awake or take care of yourself or sing a song or whatever. And so then you say, okay, Lord, well, what is the truth you want them to know about having to uh, preserve their own life or keep themselves alive? And so you ask the Lord to show them the truth. And at that point, then ask the Lord to reveal himself even now, where he is right now. Because even though you're dealing with someone many, many years after the fact, the truth is that they're still there as that child in, in that memory. Um, so if we were four years old when it happened, you're still a four-year-old in that memory, even though you may be 40 years old right now. And so you ask right. Jesus to, to um, take them back to the place where he wants to show them what was um, what's the truth. And at that point... When he does that, there is a release. And then um, at that point, I, when I'm working with someone, I will command the spirits of fear or the bondage or the um, uh, it's up to me to take care of myself. All those liars, I'll command them to go to the pit. And then I ask Jesus to fill them up with a hunger for his word or the revelation of his love or something. And then I will, then I will ask the Lord if he would be willing to take the problem on and 
that if he's willing, what would he give them if they let him bring the healing or bring the, the peace? Because obviously you cannot give yourself rest. You cannot give yourself peace. You cannot give yourself a, a pep talk every night before you go to bed and say it's going to be okay. You can read the word. You can say, Lord, I can't do this. You can say, Lord, have mercy. You can say, Jesus, my life is in your hands. Jesus, I trust you. You can say stuff like that, but you can't say, I've got to now, you know, you know, take care of myself and stay awake tonight, or I've got to go to sleep, or I've got to try to get to sleep. You can't try to do things. You can't force yourself to do things. You can just ask the Lord to do them. And then at that point, it becomes trusting, faith, surrender, peace, good, because God is good. And so I think another thing the child might be uh, have to look at, you might have to look at here, would be the child's concept of God. Because right. at some point, they may think, well, I'm mad at God because God wasn't there. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you want them, that's going to be the next issue. Can I trust God? And, and, you know, is God good? I mean, we're talking tonight about is God real, but here you're talking about they believe God is real and he should have been there and he wasn't and he's, is he good and why did he let that happen? So that's why a lot of people are very angry and upset with God because they believe that somehow God should have done something different, but the very fact is that God was there and he kept them alive and they, they, um, they need to, um, they need, that needs to become a part of, their, of the truth in them and that mindset, that program of fear and and mad at God, for example, is a demonic spirit. I was saying that earlier tonight. It's it's a, because it's either from heaven or hell. Things are either from heaven or hell. They're, things are not from me or myself because I don't have a kingdom. It's got to be heaven or hell. And so, um, you know, mad at God is obviously not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not going to make you mad at God. So that's we know this is from hell. And it's not. And where am I from? I'm from heaven. Where's I'm mad at God from hell. So. I'm mad at God is not me. It's a demon who might want me to feel, think and feel that I'm mad at God. But that's how the devil works. He's very clever, very treacherous, and he's always trying to impersonate us with a lie, you know, impersonate us to ourselves so that we'll believe a lie. And um, So even the child saying, well, you know, God might have some healing for me, but I don't want to know. I don't want to know then would be from hell. Right, right. I don't want to feel, I don't want to know it's up to me. I've got to take care of myself. I can't trust God. Um, I'm mad at God. Where was God? All of these are questions that are coming out of the pit and being pushed through your mind. And it's like the enemy is trying to make you debate them or um, answer them. But isn't it going to sound like me? Well, God puts the, under, the, the truth in our understanding. And so, no, I mean those uh, questions. Aren't right, those questions right. going to sound like, well, that's just me, my voice so, saying yeah. that? That's just me thinking, me talking, my thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the whole point. The devil wants you to get to believe that those thoughts you're thinking are your thoughts and those feelings are your th- your feelings. And so, therefore, you just embrace them as your own and you don't consider them as anything else. You know, you don't consider them as treacherous lies and setups. And so it's much easier to to, um, to accept them because you think they're already your thoughts, if that makes sense. And so and at so that this point, really carries over to an adult point of view then too, in terms of what ifing, because mm-hmm. um, I was set up for that as a child, mm-hmm. and now anything that comes up, 
uh, it, it comes up as an oh no or what if or yeah anxiety absolutely totally so you're going to see this child is going to be really super fidgety um, hyper uh, anxious um, and looking for oh no's and what ifs all over because if you are now responsible for your own safety then there's going to be a, um, you know that's that hypervigilance that comes in as well so um, yeah so I think that the thing to do is, again, um, as a matter of fact, um, I was going to say we could do this, but we're kind of like running out of time right now. If you wanted to, um, you know, if this is a person that would be willing to talk on the on this uh, on the radio show, um, we can actually do ministry on the show. There's no no reason we can't if right. the persons are willing. And I'm I'm that's what exactly I'm looking for is people who I mean we're just we're just, that's what we want to do here on Rescue Radio is actually minister to people, not just, you know, preach at them all night. Because <laughs> you probably, you know, I mean, you, a lot of the stuff that I'm saying, I'm just, tonight was basically like a pep talk. Not a pep talk, but I mean, a, a kind of a motivation, let's go, let's get this. But people can't get going if they're still, you know, strung to the shore. I mean, you want to jump in your little canoe and paddle down the river, but if you've got 500 feet of rope and you're still tied to the shore, you're not going to go very far. You've got to get those, those, those childhood lies out of there and then walk in that faith, faith to faith, believing. And each day, you know, becomes a greater step of faith and, and refreshing. So um, uh, is there anything else that, you know, you want to add to that tonight before we kind of wrap it up and then... I would suggest that maybe if you uh, or this person would want to um, connect with us next week, we could, you know, do some ministering. Right. Well, I'm I'm thinking that the reality of heaven is mm-hmm. is not there for many people, especially those who are so concerned consumed with worry. Yeah. There's no reality of the next life. It's all about my trouble here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. It's about my trouble here, our anguish, like I talked about. And we, we lose our concept of God, the goodness of God, or the relief from this, the change from this. The, the promised land is is just fading, fading, fading fast in our pro, in our minds in the promised land of heaven. But I tell you, heaven is closer today than it was yesterday. And it's more real than we can even imagine. It's more real than anything we're doing right down here. You know why it's more real? Is because it lasts longer. Anything you got going on here, it's going to grow old. It's going to fade, fall apart. You know, sell it at the Rummydale. Get. Re- but this heaven that we're talking about is forever. And so I just can't encourage people enough to hold on to their faith and allow the Lord to work through them and get free. So um, again, let's let's just. Um, pray right now that this one who's Father God uh, for this caller and for the situation you know exactly what needs to be done you know Father God what the enemy has tried to do to this one is a a child who brings fear at night fear and inability to sleep anxiety um, the crushing uh, control the demonic um, repetitive uh, consuming accusations and, and, and works of darkness to bring that person into a continued bondage, fear, and treachery. Lord, and I pray that the sword of your word right now would cut that spirit off. Pluck it out, cast it out, 
and that in its place you would put a peace that passes understanding, that the, revel- the revelation of your presence, of goodness and safety, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much for calling. That was awesome. And um, I just want to invite you to call again and, uh, you know, and or have your friends call too if there's other things. I mean, uh, questions are good. People who are willing to ask for help on the radio. This is what Rescue Radio is all about. It's not just about talking about it. It's about doing it. So, um, well, listen, thank you for calling. And um, we hope that you call again and uh, that the things that you've shared and that we've shared will be very helpful for you. Good. Thank you so much. Yeah, have a good night. Yeah, bye-bye. Well, people, now this is really where we're starting to get some important stuff happening is when people will call in and ask for help, um, describing even if, if, if it's your situation, great. Who knows who you are? I mean, here's, here's free counseling, you know, if you want to do it. Um, I'm serious. Uh, I do a lot of phone counseling, and, and you can cast devils out. You can deal with these things on the phone. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, in person, although in person is nice. And by the way, in person I do have a counseling office in Crystal, Minnesota, um, and you can go to the website, liferecovery.com, and find out our, our info, our contact numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of stuff coming up this summer. There's things that um, you might want to take advantage of while we can still do that. And so um, don't be down and downtrodden and given up when God is good and he's, he's in control and he is great. So again, let's Let's say thank you to each one of you, and we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Join us next week. I'm not sure what we're talking about, but maybe you'll help me figure that out. Okay, God is real. Be encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.